Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode is our first season five specific topic episode, and we will continue in this way for the rest of the season. This week, we're going to discuss the various coming out situations and coming out narratives in the TV show Supergirl, both in relation to actually queer characters and discussing the alien allegory and superhero allegory to queer experiences. And we thought that it would make sense to do this topic now because obviously Kara just came out to Lena as Supergirl, as an alien. And it also relates interestingly to the episode that just aired, Stranger Beside Me. Yeah, this timing worked out really nicely because after the season premiere aired last week, we had started having our own discussion about Kara's interaction with Lena and how that went down and how it was or wasn't reminiscent of other times when Kara's either chosen to tell people about her identity as an alien or her hand has been forced in some situations mm-hmm. into having her make that choice or having to try to hide from that choice. And also timing-wise, it worked out nicely. National Coming Out Day in the States was this past week. It's LGBTQ History Month in October. Mm-hmm. October. October, <laughs> yes. And this current episode, 502, Stranger Beside Me, also deals with this question of identity and authenticity in a number of ways that feed in really nicely to this theme of identity and focusing specifically on like the queer experience and how Supergirl has dealt with it in a number of different ways since season one. Yes, there are a couple of themes that have run throughout the series of Supergirl related to the coming out experience and what it means to be a queer person and specifically this concept of identity, which you mentioned. Obviously, like we've talked about identity quite a bit in our podcast (laughs) because it's so integral to our core characters. Yeah, and also the best way of understanding anyone's actions, whether they're a fictional character or a real person, is to have a sense of who they are. And again, that was something the show has grappled with a lot. And that was something this episode this week in particular was really delving into. Mm -hmm. But the characters themselves often have to grapple with their sense of identity and specifically Cara, Jean, and Alex. Cara is like Cara Zorel, Cara Danvers, Supergirl, and Alex trying to figure out who she is and what she wants for herself. And then John also heavily this past season, he had his arc about the Martian Manhunter versus a man of peace. And for all these characters and also the other characters in some ways, their arcs of pretty heavily been about discovering their true selves, which is pretty integral to the queer experience and and figuring out like what you identify as and then like making the choice to embody their true selves, also (laughs) obviously relevant, and then being happy within their identity and then also doing what's morally right or right for the world or right for their loved ones. Like that doesn't feel like a universal queer experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that specifically is resonant in relation to feeling like being queer is wrong, Mm. feeling like maybe you're letting down your family members or your loved ones. And then in relation to religion specifically, like across the spectrum of queer experiences, that being that way is a sin or acting upon it is a sin. And we see in Supergirl, the various characters struggle thematically with balancing being true to themselves with doing what they think is right for the people around them and for the world. Mm. Interestingly, with religion specifically and with Jean, he had to make the decision 
decision to be himself and value his identity over the responsibilities that his ancestors and his religion put upon his shoulders. So that angle of it is interesting. But in the world and queer lives, people are judged and we see the idea that being queer is wrong. And then in terms of the characters, obviously, a character like Alex struggles with embracing like her identity and what she wants in her life and actualizing all of that with all the other people in her life and expectations and then what's also best for them. So that's sort of a broad picture of how thematically identity relates to queer lives and then the concept of coming out. And then another big theme that the show shares with queer experiences is the idea of found family. And it made me very happy that you had this this high on the list. Yes. For queer people, there's this struggle to find people who will accept you and people who are like-minded to you and, and maybe share your values in terms of like embracing different identities and then finding people who maybe have similar experiences, which can be tough depending on where you live or who you're surrounded with. And then there are obviously people who are like outright rejected by their biological family or their initial adoptive family. We saw on the show the character Maggie Sawyer, who demonstrated that experience in how her family rejected her and then basically sent her away. And then she said herself that she had to find her own family. And so these people who have these types of experience may look at a show like Supergirl and see how important the found family aspect is in several respects all across the board. It's like the heart of the show and really connect with it. Well, and I appreciate especially that it is such a core element of the show. And that definitely reflects the perspective of the people who created the show, because this is an element of queer narrative that has been present for at least a hundred years in different kinds of media. Mm-hmm. And it's become a bit overlooked in almost like a, a generation gap kind of way mm-hmm. within the past, let's say, decade or so as LGBTQ romantic stories have started gaining more traction and been considered like economically viable <laughs> to put into mainstream media. And there's also been a shift away from the focus on the found family as a core part of the queer experience as we've seen an international shift in laws on marriage equality and there's just more broad social acceptance of being not straight. Mm-hmm. So in some cultures at this point in time, there's less interest in that family element of the queer narrative because people aren't feeling quite as rejected socially by their immediate family and friends in a way that maybe was much more common 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that also affects the way people read the show and maybe look at some of the choices that the show has made, particularly in starting with using alienness as an allegory for queer identity. Yeah, they they sort of eased us in <laughs> in terms of representation in the show. Partly also because of CBS. <laughs> yes. It's interesting because we've started to see a shift from like solely relying on allegory to tell sort of queer narratives into actual explicit representation. But it's definitely worth looking at the way allegory has been used and the way it is still used. <laughs> Superheroes and dual identity 
identities have been used as an allegory for queer people as outcasts who have to hide a part of themselves in one context, but then can go over and sort of embrace a part of their identity in another context. So looking at some things, Greg Berlanti, the executive producer of Supergirl, along with the other Arrowverse shows, Supergirl's like kind of his baby, how he talked about superheroes and his own experience as a gay person. He talked about how he fell in love with superheroes probably at the same time he was realizing he was gay. When he was discussing his show called The Tomorrow People, which was based on an older show with the same title, a superhero show, he said, I'm really looking at the original show that was like me feeling different at 10 and 11 and knowing that something is different and feeling that connection. He has said in relation to the identity theme that we've talked about, I think what really ends up connecting a lot of people as they get older is they realize that straight people and gay people, we can all feel isolated and we can all feel alone. And I think that that's at the core sometimes of the sadness of the DC Comics characters. They are burdened by their identity. And so they have this secret identity and this life where they act as a hero in this life that they keep secret. But obviously, Greg Berlanti isn't the first person to make this connection, kind of going into a little bit of a super mythology history. If we look at Smallville, the TV show, which is often cited as the reason that the Arrowverse was able to get started on the CW. Brian Peterson, who was a gay man and the producer slash writer of Smallville, was asked about telling stories about gay and lesbian people. And he said that he was excited to work on a show that was basically an allegory for living a life you feel you need to hide. And that through Smallville, he got to explore the more universal themes of isolation, tolerance, acceptance, and even celebration. So there's a lot of history even beyond this. And it's not just in like TV or film or comics too. This actually goes across a lot of artistic disciplines going back throughout quite a bit of history as well. Yeah. Like I know for myself, that was definitely true, particularly as a younger teen Mm -hmm. in terms of gravitating toward fiction that had those elements of kind of feeling like you were really different and isolated or that you wouldn't be accepted in some way. Mm -hmm. And again, that's an attitude I think that has changed significantly, especially within the past decade in the United States, because we've had the marriage equality legalization. There's been a repeal of some of the laws against LGBTQ people serving in the military. And there's just been um, across the board a much wider call for representation in TV and film books. And people have really embraced it at a pace that none of our previous movements for civil rights have matched thus far. And so particularly within fan spaces, there is a bit of a disconnect on why allegory stories are still relevant to content creators who are coming from older generations Mm -hmm. and relevant globally, where maybe not everybody has that same access still or feels that same level of acceptance. And that's a question that comes up a lot with particularly like the superhero related content. Like, well, why aren't there more really openly gay stories or things like that? Part of that has to do with the fact that in the global media market, the United States, while it's maybe the origin point of a lot of these stories, is not the place where franchises are making their money. A lot of them are making the bulk of their money in countries that are heavily repressive in terms of free speech and also have taboos about homosexuality or laws censoring that kind of content Mm -hmm. altogether. And so even though maybe these pieces of media are being created in the United States, they're being created with the thought in mind of it has to be content that we can get through into those markets. And so maybe there will be less of things that we think should be there for that reason. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's often overlooked when criticism is directed at content creators who are trying to please 
many masters, not just their fans or their one specific group of fans. Yes. But so then, you know, turning and looking at our specific characters in terms of the allegory, a character like Kara and her situation, particularly before like the Alien Amnesty Act came out, may resonate with people from some of these areas where things are not as progressive, particularly in her youth, when Kara was very much closeted and there was a very real danger to her life and to her loved ones because of her alien status and in relation to queer lives today. And, you know, the real world, we have the fact that same-sex relations are illegal in 72 countries and punishable by death in eight. And so if you consider a character like Kara in a kind of climate like that for her as an alien, there's a real aura of fear around her. And Jeremiah was the person that we saw who encouraged her the most to try to pass as human. He said to her, doing what you could do makes you special, but it's not safe. He gave her the glasses to help her with her super senses. But then he also said, they'll help you fit in. They'll make your life easier. Yeah. And that's definitely a very resonant kind of struggle with actually that parents will go through a lot Mm. when their children come out to them. Sometimes they'll frame it as like a choice. Why are you actively making your life harder by (laughs) doing this? And it's it's like, no, that's not it's not a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where the the alien stand in works really nicely, because that's part of who you are that is just born there and you can't change it. Mm -hmm. You can pass. (laughs) Yeah. Or try to fit in. But that doesn't change your actual identity. And we even see, you know, obviously Alex, who has anxiety patented is <laughs> really internalizes this and you know what influenced her into her teen years and shaped her into the adult that she is who has these anxieties is the looming threat of what could have happened to Kara and to their family if anyone ever found out and she really demonstrates this fear in her reaction to when Kara makes her sort of first coming out when she flies and saves Alex's plane and stands there and just is visibly like an alien. Alex says, everyone will know about you and you can't take that back, which is something that I know in like (laughs) my experiences as a bi woman, the idea that once you let anyone in on your identity, that's it. (laughs) Once you tell the secret, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You can't put it back into the box. Why did you use that metaphor? (laughs) Tiny boxes. Alex also kind of wished that she could do that when she came out with Maggie because she had that regret. Yeah. And then in this situation with her fear about Kara, she says, like, what if people figure out who you are, what you are? It's just not safe for you to do anything like that ever again. So it's it's kind of serious. <laughs> and then we also see that because of this secret that Kara has, she is relatively isolated in her teen years. And she mentioned in 421, in a flashback to Alex, when Alex is going away to college, she says, no one else gets me, no one else can get me. And that's because no one else can be let in on her identity. And then we also see in the pilot episode her like kind of struggling on that date to connect (laughs) partially because the guy was a jerk (laughs) and then (laughs) yeah but you can see that it's difficult for her because she can't even say like where she was born she can't openly talk about herself and her life experience and like fundamental parts of who she is and to kind of tie that back to where we are with the characters presently in season five if you can't even express like basic facts about who you are like hey how well can you know yourself if you don't ever get to verbalize any thing Hmm. and figure out yourself. And then also, how do you have those authentic relationships with other people? Yeah. And then we had an interesting single case in Kara's teen years where somebody did find out. Oh, Kenny. Kenny. 
that Kara was an alien. And her takeaway from that, obviously, Kenny died and <laughs> she was upset about that. But spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, after some time, she like thinks about it. And after she realizes that he knew and that he was still like nice to her and still was like kind of into her, she says, he liked me, all of me. And it was really important to her that there was somebody who knew that she was an alien and still liked her. Kara, always hopeful. <laughs> yes. Being like, oh, maybe not everyone will be terrible. <laughs> yeah. But that sort of relative isolation for Kara in her youth. And then we can even see it kind of like a little bit, I think, in the first couple premiere episodes and the first season. She's just really beginning to open up to the people around her because she can openly talk about things. And it makes the concept of a found family even more resonant in relation to queer narratives and Kara as an allegory for somebody who is queer. And it just makes it extra nice <laughs> that she was able to kind of accumulate this gaggle of people in kind of the same way that queer people may find other queer people. She has accumulated a group of aliens mixed in with humans. and Or like when you're a teenager and you're friends with all the other kids who are kind of like oddballs and then five years later mm -hmm. you all realize you're not straight. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a thing that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like mental list. But like that found family aspect is one of the nice ways that we've seen the queer experience expressed in kind of a joyful way. And then we also saw it, obviously, when she came out to win as an alien. <gasps> that scene was so sweet. Mm -hmm. She talked about how she just wanted someone to be excited for her. And then she gives this speech, which is like, obviously about her being Supergirl, but then also sounds like... <laughs> like a coming out speech. <laughs> like a coming yeah. out speech. There's something about me that for most of my life, I've run from it. But last night, I embraced who I am and I don't want to stop and understandably wins like you're a lesbian. <laughs> and she also talks to Alex about how she was scared, but it was good scared, like the moment right before you kiss someone for the first time. So I can imagine maybe being like a queer person writing this situation and kind of like digging into what this moment would feel like. And that feels like a good... Yeah, that kind of like liberation moment where you actually do get to acknowledge out loud to someone else like, no, this is me. Yes. And the other thing that's really nice about that scene in the pilot is just how purely joyful of an experience it is because we've had a lot of scenes with Kara from the pilot all the way up through the present of her having to make decisions about how to disclose this secret and her identity to people and when and where. And this first moment with Wynn is just so great because once he realizes that she's serious, because um, <laughs> remember he was running the like aliens are real conspiracy blog and Kara was always like, no, they're not. <laughs> He's like, this is a prank. <laughs> yeah. But, and as soon as he realizes that it's true, he is nothing but supportive. Mm -hmm. And excited for her. And genuinely excited. And he wants to help her. Like the fact that he comes to her house and he makes her the suit, that again is another kind of symbolic moment like you know when you're all nervous that you're gonna like go out mm -hmm. for the first time and like be out and you need your friend to back you up like he's that best friend i also think it's worth noting the costume aspect of the secret identity in terms of like having a queer relationship with gender and gender expression that moment of like i'm going to go out and i'm going to wear something different than i ever have and kind of celebrate my identity yeah absolutely and it's so different from her other experiences in season one with people who she either does tell or who confront her about it because she's also got the whole situation with Kat yeah. that goes on throughout parts of season one. And then also she ends up coming out as an alien to Lucy 
at the end of the season. Yeah, <laughs> with Kat. <laughs> Kat tried to make her come out and Car just recently talked about it, actually, back in season four. She said that it was scarier with Kat than it was when the president was pressuring her to come out. And both situations were like, come out or you lose your job situations, which obviously, if we're talking about queer allegories, paints it even more uncomfortably than it was. Yeah, a little bit. Although, actually, right now, presently, there's a bunch of cases before the Supreme Court debating that very issue. If your sexual orientation or your gender identity is protected Mm. under U.S. law, keeping you from losing your job if someone finds out about it. And so Cara's like, no, I like being able to just be Cara and be normal in my job. That's part of why she doesn't want to say anything. But part of it is also just that fear that's always in there. And Kat doesn't do anything to reassure her. (laughs) No. I mean, it's wildly inappropriate when you look at it from an objective lens. Kat goes and digs up Kara's childhood school records and all kinds of things, trying to trick her into revealing hints about who she is. She intentionally kind of corners her when she's isolated and puts her in moments where she's on the defensive and just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And throughout the series, we've seen Kara in situations like that now, I think three times. And two of them were last season, once with President Baker, and then also when Colonel Haley confronts her about knowing. Mm-hmm. And And those two were clearly portrayed as frightening, negative experiences that had a lot of really difficult repercussions for Kara personally and professionally. So A, that allegory is still very relevant Mm -hmm. in terms of portraying kind of some of the things that queer people are afraid of and that we deal with. But at least with Kat in the situation where she has more of a personal relationship to Kara than either of the people who came into the DEO. And once Kat at least realizes just how upset she is making Kara she does back off finally and then she never brings it up again even after maybe car has gotten to a point where it might be okay if cat's like oh by the way like i i know it's you mm-hmm. uh. <laughs> and then we have the coming out situation with lucy which is kind of a mixed bag <laughs> in terms of reactions yeah that one was interesting because james had kind of tried to convince Kara that it was a good idea earlier in the season yeah because he wanted like things to be fine for his relationship yeah which like again related to the idea of being an alien as being a stand-in for like queer identity no one but you gets to decide that mm-hmm. and james putting that pressure on Kara wasn't really a good friend choice. (laughs) The other thing about Lucy that has become very fascinating compared to season five Mm -hmm. is that Lucy was also from a family that was significantly prejudiced against aliens and she subscribed much more to her father's beliefs about that than Lois Lane ever did, clearly. (laughs) Um, So Kara is understandably very hesitant to tell her the truth because she doesn't think she will react positively and she is concerned about what might happen to her or to her family as a result of that. And Lucy has also been directly confrontational with Supergirl. Yeah, but then circumstances kind of push Kara into having to do it, even though she maybe doesn't want to, because the safety of her family is in jeopardy if she doesn't tell Lucy, like, what's going on and why. And Lucy's reaction is initially hostile, just as Kara fears it will be. And Lucy's first question to Kara is, why do people like you all lie in this very accusing tone? And Kara's just like, do you hear your question? Uh, (laughs) This is why. Yeah. But then Kara explains it to Lucy and we have the flashbacks, some of which we've mentioned already in terms of Kara's childhood. And she describes 
what it's like to be an alien. And she talks about how, you know, she didn't have a choice. And, and then Lucy's like, okay. Yeah. Well, um, it works because Lucy, with her ridiculous lawyer brain. It's <laughs> a good way to describe her. Is very logical. And once you present evidence to her, if it's good evidence, she will mm-hmm. accept it. And she doesn't have a lot of like baggage behind it. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Which is such a contrast with Lena. Yes, it is. In season five. And who Kara has known for much longer and has continued to put off telling the truth Mm -hmm. because of those reservations. And it turns out maybe her impulse was very right. (laughs) Yeah, Uh. it's fair. I mean, Lena was introduced as a character who was meant to be sort of like the conservative to Kara's like Democrat self. Yeah. And Lena is very much imbued with a lot of those values, however much people don't like to acknowledge that fact. Uh. (laughs) But there is that level of reservation when you meet someone who does have conservative values. And And being a little bit afraid that maybe if you disclose something like that to them, A, it'll end the relationship and B, they might be hostile about it. Yeah. I mean, Lena also specifically was like, here's this alien detection device. I want to out all aliens. <laughs> because I think that is morally right for humans to know. Yeah, because uh, I think that we should know who's different from us. And it's like a very like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, well, and actually, if we want to talk about the allegory, that's no different than the idea of blacklisting people, which was common, particularly like in the 50s, for being suspected of, of homosexual activity. And often it was linked to like your politics mm. in order to get around that fact. But it also happened in like the acting industry people who maybe once they came out suddenly weren't getting jobs anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, cut to season five and Kara has so far put off coming out to Lena, even though she like kind of wants to so that she can be closer with her. And like we talked about before, it has been difficult for Kara to connect with people in the past when they don't know her secret. But then there's this pressure concerning what will happen when Lena does find out and Lena feeling like she was like entitled to that information about Kara, which if you think about like the alien detection device is something that even without her like psychological baggage concerning being lied to, Lena would resent Kara for. And so, you know, in season five, we see Kara is extremely afraid of telling Lena because of how it will change their relationship and how Lena will react. And she says in her actual coming out speech, like, you were so angry with me with Supergirl, but you still loved Kara. I just kept thinking if I could be Kara, just Kara, that could keep you as a friend. And we mentioned this in the last episode, how this was a very resonant line in terms of the queer allegory and thinking that if you could just keep this part of yourself like walled off, then you can maintain all of your relationships and no one will think of you differently. But it's also interesting to take this like allegorical coming out situation and compare it to the to Alex's coming out in season two as a lesbian Mm. and Kara's reaction, which was very different from Lena's reaction to Kara. Only a little. (laughs) Um, And she said to Alex, I owe you an apology for not creating an environment where you felt like you could talk about this with me. Yeah, completely the The opposite. opposite, Yes. (laughs) And like we've talked about with Lena, there were like some red flags in terms of whether or not 
Kara would feel logically comfortable coming out to her. Mm. And Lena has shifted because of various reasons for her as a character of the blame onto Kara for not... For not having told her from the beginning. Yes. Or at least, you know, when they became friends, I guess. Yeah. Which becomes even more questionable and uncomfortable when you frame it within the queer allegory context. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just funny because Kara in both scenarios is like, it's my fault. <laughs> yeah. In one situation, more warranted, I think, than the other. It's also interesting, we've talked about this before, about how when Alex came out to Kara and Kara was like, I didn't give you enough space, Lena came directly into her life and Kara got the lesson like, yeah. I need to give everyone their <laughs> their space, all the space in the relationship. Yeah. Well, and those reactions are also just very different in a way that reflects the points of view of the characters. Like, Kara is apologetic to Alex because Kara understands how she feels. Yeah. And acknowledges how difficult that is. Whereas I don't think Lena really acknowledged Kara's feelings at all. No. And that's sort of an interesting kind of bridge moment in terms of allegory and explicit representation in the scene with Alex because Kara says that, like, maybe it's not the same, but she says, I do know how it feels to keep a part of yourself shut off to keep it inside. And I know how lonely that can make you feel. And well, one other thing about that with the use of allegory kind of as a bridge to direct representation, that's also still important for getting people who don't relate to be able to understand Mm -hmm. and to develop that empathy for people who are different than them. That is one of the functions of stories. And it's one of the most powerful educational tools that we have socially. So I just would never underestimate the value of that, particularly when we're seeing a storyline this season of a character who doesn't get exposed to too many other people's stories and points of view and who isn't displaying that empathy. Yeah. But in terms of characters who are really good at taking the perspective of others, let's talk about our mind reader. (laughs) Jean is our other alien character who really goes through this process as well in terms of having a part of himself that he has kept hidden from people for so long because he went through a very traumatic experience where that aspect of his identity got his whole family killed Mm -hmm. and he could have also been killed. And he struggles to kind of embrace it in this new life that he has for himself where he's been in hiding for so long. And it's interesting we said that like the scene with Kara and Alex was kind of a bridge of the show shifting from using the metaphor of alienness as a coming out experience to the literal LGBTQ coming out experience because Jean also has a coming out moment to Alex and she is the first person he tells. Mm -hmm. And it's very cool because Kara always says that, you know, Alex is the only person who gets her because of being her sister and having grown up with her and understanding those kind of hidden off parts of her. But Jean and Alex also have always had this really complicated, lovely emotional connection and resonance with each other that only becomes more great after we get Alex's coming out moments in season two as well. Hmm. And it's also kind of funny because I don't think he ever would have planned to tell her, Mm -hmm. but he decides that he needs to after she puts herself in incredible danger in season one. I mean, that's nothing new, but... (laughs) 
But she gets into this danger specifically because she no longer trusts him because she can tell he's being dishonest about something. And that's what pushes him to tell her the truth about himself and also about his relationship to her and her family. Yeah, she's suspicious of something different than what he ends up revealing to her. In terms of characters and coming out situations and one character kind of prompting the other to tell them, it wasn't Alex being like, tell me you're an alien. (laughs) No, yeah, she didn't actually think that was it at all. Um, (laughs) And then, so you mentioned Jean and Alex having kind of this connection where they like kind of get each other and how that factored into him coming out to her. On the other hand, we have Kara, (laughs) where their relationship was a bit rockier to begin with. (laughs) To put it mildly. Yes. And David Harewood, who plays Jean, talked about how he wondered like why Jean was so mean to Kara to begin with. And he said, as much as I just want to be myself, you know, as Jean Jones, it would terrify people to be confronted with this alien. He's still got conflicts and issues that he has to deal with, but seeing Kara enjoy coming out of the closet or revealing her true nature, he's envious because he knows he can't quite do that. And I liked the usage of coming out of the closet. Well, and I like the insight that's kind of embedded within that Mm. quote and that observation because I think it also does reflect generational differences that you will encounter within the LGBTQ community about when you should come out, how you should come out, why you should or shouldn't come out. Mm -hmm. And you'll see, particularly in older adults, maybe much more hesitancy because of very challenging periods of history that they lived through in a way that maybe you don't see with somebody who's like 20. Yeah. But again, that also depends on like where you live. It does. (laughs) And Jean, as I kind of said before, has having lived through the Martian Civil War where they killed his whole race. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of baggage on his identity as an alien that is hard for him to shake yeah. in a way that Kara doesn't. Yeah, it also related to the fact that, you know, she looks human and doesn't have to shift into any alien-looking form to feel like she's expressing her alienhood, so she, like, passes. And we see Kara challenging Jean in season one, in the falling episode, when she's infected with red kryptonite, about why he doesn't come out like she did. Yeah, she's very disdainful. Mm-hmm. Well, you could put a stop to this if you wanted to, but you're a coward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it actually reminded me of the alien scientist we saw in the first episode of season four. Mm, Dr. Vose, I think was his name, right? The guy with the like horn. Mm-hmm. The tusks on his arms. Yes. He was in the like alien sort of therapy group and expressed that he resented the image inducers and thought that the people who were using them should stop. And it was pointed out that he presents as less like different looking from humans than some other aliens. For instance, the person he was arguing with had a more alien looking face as opposed to like the ears that were pointy and the tusks on the arms. So that was just a bit of interesting parallel there regarding those experiences, the experiences of aliens. But, you know, eventually Jean does end up coming out in a way in the following episode to save the Danvers sisters. and <laughs> From themselves. From themselves, <laughs> yes. He has that awesome kind of moment when he shifts from his human form into the Green Martian and is like the slow-mo, like mm. running forward moment and then what happens is he's arrested and then well and going back to the thing about him being arrested alex begs him to change back and run away yeah because she recognizes kind of like that same fear that she had when Kara first mm-hmm. appeared as supergirl that something bad will happen yeah she then explains so much about her reactions <laughs> to herself in season two. Uh- <laughs> oh boy yeah and then he's shipped off like toward cadmus to be experimented on and then they're like i guess we'll take alex too <laughs> which in hindsight is deeply amusing 
because it's like she got sent there because Lucy correctly guessed that she was covering for Jean, but it's like, was that meant to be foreshadowing? <laughs> <laughs> was she just there in solidarity? Like, hmm. it ends up working out really nicely in that respect. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Jean's journey, we see him become accepted at the DEO until he leaves. But in season two, one of the really nice moments for his character, which may resonate with queer people, is when he goes to the alien bar in his green Martian form. And he sits there and has a drink as an alien, essentially, in an environment with people like him, kind of like going to the gay bar. Yes. And he's continued to integrate himself much more into that community since season two. Yes. By getting involved with the people at the bar, like doing that therapy circle thing. But he's also, he's friends with the guy who owns the place, as we see in season four. And his decision to start his investigative business, we then find out in season four that he's considered the person that aliens feel safe going to when they need help and they don't trust the law enforcement agencies to help them. Yeah. Again, a common fear. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then to kind of round out our conversation on the characters who've had symbolic coming out, if you will, we also had some really interesting stuff with Brainy last year when he was transitioning from living in the 31st century where he's out in the open as an alien and highly respected, highly regarded as a member of the Legion of Superheroes and having to come way back in time into a society where he realizes he doesn't actually feel safe and he isn't accepted for who he is unless he mostly hides it from people. And the way they depicted that was also really effective. And again, we had kind of that bridge between the symbolic kind of queer narrative and a literal one because Nia is the person who steps in as someone who relates and understands how wrongly he's being treated. Mm. And so that was really nicely done. And then we also had a human character get a kind of symbolic coming out moment with James and his decision to reveal that he is Guardian. Yeah. Although it is markedly different for James as a human character, this coming out as a superhero than it is for the alien characters, interestingly. Yeah, as he quickly realizes when he becomes the poster boy for the human first (laughs) movement. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) But he has that journey of kind of understanding Kara's struggle more with coming out and how maybe it isn't as realistic for her to take that step, which was a nice progression from what we talked about earlier in this episode with him kind of pressuring her to to let him tell someone that she didn't know that well that she's an alien. Yeah, and that was actually also just a really nice moment in their friendship. Mm-hmm evolution as well. I mean, he doesn't totally get the experience, but he understands maybe why Kara is making the decisions that she has made. Mm-hmm. And his developed relationship with Jean has also helped him. Yeah. And now to look at our explicit queer representation characters, we obviously have Alex, who we've discussed being the sort of bridge from the allegory into the literal representation. She also has a little bit of an allegorical moment in season one. <laughs> <laughs> Hinting at the things to come. Yes. <laughs> quite in her first Thanksgiving coming out that she had. Alex was expressing her distress at Eliza being upset that Kara came out and <laughs> being upset with Alex for Kara coming out. And then Kara says, then maybe it's time for you to come out. And, <laughs> and I don't know how... <laughs> 
we thought this wasn't planned because Alex's reaction in that moment is hilarious. Yeah. Because she just kind of gives her this look. There's like a beat of silence. She just waits. Like <laughs> There's like a beat of silence and then Kara kind of continues to explain. And then Alex is like, oh, you want me to come out? You mean that? To tell her about the DEO? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh. Oh, you're talking about the DEO. Like, there's, like, too long of a pause <laughs> yes, for it to not have been intentional, at least on, like, an editing level. It's my favorite, like, Easter egg-y type moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's delightful. Berlanti had talked about how they were discussing maybe doing that with this character back in season one. So perhaps the writers had a clue in, but Cutler expressed that she... She did not. <laughs> did not know. But so Alex in season one has this moment where she, like, stands up and announces that she is an agent for the DEO. Which Eliza has a hard time accepting and is quite upset about. (laughs) It's true. It takes her some time. But it does not take her much time when Alex in season two has another Thanksgiving coming out experience. (laughs) Well, and you know what's really interesting, actually, thinking about it, the framing of the Thanksgiving in season one versus season two is so different as well, even in terms of just the lighting. Mm. Like the whole thing is very dark and the body language is very tense and stressed in season one and in season two there's more people there it's like a friendlier situation the lighting is like bright and like happy yeah there's some bickering between alex and james and win about how she has to come out (laughs) she's like this is my family i get to go first y'all sit down Yes. Well, and also she's mad at them for keeping a secret from Kara. Yeah. About James being the guardian. Mm-hmm. Speaking of identities and telling people the truth. <laughs> Kara ends up actually not being that mad about that. Ultimately. <laughs> Just the fact that he is doing it is what she's mad about. She's mad about him, like, taking the risks to his safety. She's not actually mad that he, like, kept it. A- she doesn't ever really say anything about it. <laughs> no. But, like, the whole reason he kept it a secret is because he knew she'd be mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, Alex gets a completely different reaction in season two when it's about like a personal thing as opposed to you're working for the people who killed your dad oh i'm gonna need a mental adjustment for that (laughs) yeah but eliza's very warm reaction to alex's sort of coming out later is nice it is and it's also very in keeping with a lot of greg berlanti's other projects Hmm. that he's done that have increased lgbtq visibility and moved the needle on kind of how those stories are portrayed yeah he's done a lot <laughs> yeah, he spent something like 20 years advocating for increases in that representation in TV and now film because he had Love, Simon, mm-hmm. which was like a cute rom-com <laughs> about teenagers. <laughs> it also involved like coming out. It did. It had a very similar vibe, actually. It was funny watching that movie. I was like, there are so many things that are very similar to some of the themes from Supergirl. Yeah. And Alex also was unique. In the sense of having that experience as an adult yeah. versus a lot of stories that you'll tend to see that are aimed at like the CW's audience demographic, which is younger kids. You'll tend to see those storylines told with maybe teenagers or like college age students. So it was neat that they found a way to incorporate it into a show that is about people who are grown adults. Uh, <laughs> yes. And to give it a really, I mean, in keeping with the tone of the show, like a hopeful, mm-hmm. very positive note. And then they managed to kind of push that even farther when 
when they introduced Nia last season, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Nia Nob, aka Dreamer, the first live action trans superhero. This character also has a moment linking the allegory mm. to the real world narrative in her conversation with Kara. And Nia's talking about the situation with her sister and Kara can relate. <laughs> and they, <laughs> they share like sisters saying hurtful things regarding their minority group and then also the element of superpowers. <laughs> yeah, Nia actually physically embodies that bridge between the literal representation and the mm-hmm. metaphorical representation because she is both a human passing alien and a member of the queer community. Yes, which is awesome. And then another aspect of the character that I thought was both related to the allegory that we see within the characters and connecting to like sort of universal queer experiences and queer struggles. Nia says that she knows herself really well. Mm which I thought was interesting in terms of what we talked about before with like identity and finding yourself and knees in this place where she's kind of like representative of someone who knows what she's all about in terms of her gender identity and has a lot of confidence in that respect. But then obviously as a superhero, there's a bit more doubt and then even as a reporter. But then, you know, comparing to Jean, for instance, who struggles with trying to find clarity for his identity. Hmm. Well, and that sense of clarity about who she is also is curious with the kind of powers that she has <laughs> in terms of it is. is like her ability to dream and kind of see things as they will be mm-hmm. or as they might be and see her own power to affect that, which is very cool on a symbolic level. Mm-hmm. In terms of her as a queer character, also like being the one to see possibly a future mm-hmm. for people like her. And that kind of hopeful element of her character is really nice. Yeah. And they also folded in what we talked about at the start of this episode with kind of the way society is is changing. And that is reflected in Nia's character, both in terms of the casting, at a casting level, the fact that she's being played by an out trans actress, Mm -hmm. and also in terms of the way we saw her family and her home life represented. Unlike Kara, Nia spent her childhood in a community that was very open, very accepting of all different kinds of people, alien and human, and also that she had a positive experience as a child going through her gender transition. Mm -hmm. And yet within that, we do still see that her relationship with her family is complicated, much like Alex's relationship with Eliza is complicated and Alex's coming out to Kara was not without its bumps mm-hmm. because Nia's family, as much as they loved her and they raised her to have this wonderful sense of confidence in who she is and pride in who she is, they clearly also had their struggles with accepting it and maybe didn't always voice them in healthy ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, maybe didn't always voice it at all. Kind of like how Kara in Falling shocked her friends and family by saying things that they thought maybe she never would say. Mm -hmm. But I liked the realism of that because – even for as perfect of a childhood as Nia has had and how much it's made her into an amazing, wonderful woman, it's still not perfect. Like, nothing ever will be. Mm -hmm. And it was good that they had that moment, although I still really think they need to resolve that (laughs) (laughs) lingering thing with her sister. Like, that was if they had done that with Kara and Alex in season two and never mentioned it again, like, the thought of leaving it for that long is just really (laughs) not great. I mean, in season two, <laughs> there was the whole Jarrett, like, <laughs> there was some stuff that happened and there wasn't. Yeah, but there was stuff that they swept under the rug, but it wasn't like they just never spoke again. <laughs> like, like, <Fair>. um, <laughs> like it, 
we had all this buildup of Nia talking about how close she was to her sister and how influential her sister was in her life. And they haven't mentioned it in a year. Yeah. So it would be nice to see maybe this season later her come back and explore the interpersonal dynamics there. Maybe that can be a new Thanksgiving thing because it seems like Nia has picked up the torch from Alex on uh, having the awkward Thanksgiving conversations where you stumble through half-truths about yourself. Um, (laughs) Because season three, we didn't have a Thanksgiving scene in an episode. And in season four, it was Nia's turn to awkwardly try to tell or not tell Eliza things. Specifically Eliza, (laughs) Um, which is what makes it great. Which is what makes it funnier. So it would be really nice if they pick up that thread Mm -hmm. for Nia and her sister and resolve it. Indeed. And then we have our other newest addition to the explicit queer representation fam, Kelly Olsen. Yeah, we found out that Kelly is attracted to women. I don't know that she's ever specifically stated that she is a lesbian. I don't think she has, actually. We know she likes Alex. And <laughs> and she liked her fiancé. Which, that was fascinating. I liked what they did with her backstory on that. Number one, that it wasn't like the first thing we learned about the character. Yeah. So they've learned from Good. some past mistakes there. But also, the way they wove in Kelly's backstory there is reflective generationally of where she fits kind of within the context of the larger queer community mm-hmm. as a woman who had been in the military during the period when don't ask, don't tell was the official policy. And if you were open about your relationship, you'd lose your job. Mm. And also the fact that she was serving overseas in a country where homosexuality is illegal. Yeah. Two things that make it difficult <laughs> yes. to have an honest relationship with someone. I feel like Kelly of all the characters might actually kind of get where maybe Car and Jean are coming from. Mm, yeah. Just from that kind of bite of an experience of being in that location where she absolutely could not let anyone know. Yeah, including her own family, which that was kind of horrible when you find out, you know, she had to go through the grieving process without uh-huh. any emotional support, essentially. Yeah. Well, you know, that isolating factor that we talked about. Which we talked about already with Cara and with Jean, we saw as well. Mm-hmm. And it was also nice the way they had her disclose it to Alex after Alex has already outed herself, essentially, mm-hmm. to Kelly. Because that's a thing that happens. Um, <laughs> like somebody mentions that they've dated someone in, in a queer relationship and you're like, oh, fam. Uh, <laughs> it's like this whole feeling. You're like, oh, you'll get it. <laughs> yes. And that part of it felt very authentic as far as the representation of how they set that up. Mm -hmm. And it also kind of demonstrates the idea that like you have to continually come out throughout your Mm -hmm. entire life to new people that you see. Yeah, which is also a place where Kara and Nia on a metaphorical level are in some ways better representations than Jean who does not look human passing because Mm. if he was to walk around in his alien form everyone would know he was an alien whereas they still have to make choices about telling people that they are aliens yeah and it also then coincides with nia deciding when and how to disclose that she is trans like i loved that scene that she had with james early in season four Mm -hmm. and it was kind of neat that they had that moment after james had had that whole evolution of coming around to appreciate why kara doesn't necessarily tell people things yeah because his bond with nia then i think was better for him having had that mental journey yes now they're cute gryffindor pals And speaking of that, I really hope we get some more insight into James and Kelly. Mm -hmm. And their relationship. I would like to see some sibling shovel talks (laughs) before James goes. I would like to see a Kara one and I would like a James one. Kara goes into Kelly and then James goes to... 
I would like Kara and James to conspire together. Honestly, I want some shenanigans. So we've established that there have been lots of coming out situations across the seasons. And we've also talked about the concept of identity as a theme that appears in every season and specifically with the queer allegory and explicit queer text. And the way that we are seeing this develop in season five is that the theme of identity is more explicitly tied into this truth theme that we've seen in the first two episodes of season five so far and that I expect we will see more of. Obviously, with cars coming out to Lena, as we discussed in the last episode, this theme of truth is heavily emphasized because Lena is very concerned with the fact that she didn't know this thing about Kara. And even with the other characters, we're seeing the identity theme explored within the theme of truth and like how much you know about a person Mm. and also how much information you owe another person. Yeah. Or how much information you need about a person in order to really get a sense of them. Yes. I would we talked about Supergirl standing for truth and car and journalism and truth, but it also ties into their biggest theme that they're tackling this season of technology. And the two themes of technology and truth tie together, interestingly, in relation to queer lives and the ability that we in the real world have to dig up information on people and out them kind of similar to what we saw almost happen in this episode when William Day was able to track Kara's phone and then almost Mm. discovered that she was Supergirl. And also the idea of feeling entitled to information about other people Mm. and whether or not they are queer. And even in like a positive way where someone just wants to know, are you like me? But there's a sense that that kind of information needs to be displayed just like everything else about you online. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the feeling of entitlement toward that information ties into Lena's character and her feeling like she is entitled to information about everything, essentially, we saw in this episode. I had to really restrain myself when you made this note about the issue of of technology (laughs) and truth, Mm -hmm. not just as it pertains to this episode, but I think how it's going to be incorporated into the show all season based on kind of the hints we've gotten so far, because I actually have publications about a lot of these topics. But some of the research that I specialized in related to data privacy concerns, particularly concerns over information that's shared inadvertently about children by their parents, for example, has actually resulted in learning more about concerns specific to parents of queer children. So, for example, the fear of malicious people lurking on like a dating app that's supposed to be designed for members of the LGBTQ community to meet each other safely. Or there was another subject that I interviewed for something where they were concerned about their trans child who had already gone through their transition eventually encountering discrimination based on people digging up like their school or family records or things that they had casually disclosed on Mm -hmm. social media and being harassed about it potentially years later without even being aware of the fact that somebody else had said it. And this concern and kind of this fear in a way is something that most minority groups are much more sensitive to than members of what we'd consider like the default in society. Because as members of minority groups, you're much more sensitive to the potential threats that could come from changes to technology or the way it can be abused or misused by either other users of it or the people who created it in the first place. And the show has actually woven that in 
over the course of the series. For example, in season two, when we saw more about Cadmus and how they took the registry from the Alien Amnesty Act and used it to go around targeting people, that's directly comparable to people being afraid to be honest on the census about whether they're queer or an immigrant or things like that. You also see the same thing happening with Lena's image inducers in season four that someone intentionally targeted and hacked them. Mm -hmm. And I suspect we'll see it more (laughs) in terms of technology being misused or abused in ways that directly harm people who are trying to protect themselves in some way. Yeah. So the theme of technology and truth is obviously going to be a huge thing. And then also, as we talked about it in relation to identity, in this past episode, The Stranger Beside Me, we saw the theme of like how much you know about another person was really emphasized as demonstrated by the title of the episode, which is taken from a 1980 autobiographical slash biographical true crime book on Ted Bundy, which was written by Anne Rule. And she knew Bundy before he was arrested for serial murders. So he was a serial killer for those of you who have no idea who he is, because this was quite a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And it took Anne Rule a considerable amount of time to accept the evidence that she was seeing that he was a serial killer. She described Bundy as kind, solicitous, and empathetic. And it took her a long time to accept that he was not always those things. Yeah, well, and I think we've kind of talked about how people with certain kinds of personality types like antisocial, where they are very good at memorizing the patterns of social interaction and being charming on a surface level. Yes. Which is why it's actually fascinating that in 501, Kara says the greatest villain of all time was Voldemort. Hmm. He had that same kind of personality. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I like that connection. And uh, so there was another quote from the author of this book that 502's episode title came from, where she talks about how she chooses true crime stories and like uh, people to profile. And she says, I'm looking for an anti-hero, in quotes, whose eventual arrest shocks those who knew him or her. Someone who is attractive, brilliant, charming, popular, wealthy, talented, and much admired in their community, but is really hiding behind masks, Mm -hmm. Um, which I feel like is going to be quite relevant to a lot of things that are happening so far this season. Yeah. We as the audience are trying to figure out which of our new characters to trust. Mm. And we're going through some journeys on uh, (laughs) understanding characters we already thought we knew. We sure are. (laughs) (laughs) Some more than others. (laughs) But this really signifies this idea of fear of like what not knowing things about other people could mean for you in your life. And in this episode, they explore the idea of knowing someone fully. Alex and Brainy have an interesting contrast in that Brainy is sort of bragging about his successful morning with Nia and says, you see, the key to a good relationship is knowing each other fully. And then Alex is like, "Mm, I don't know if that's really true. (laughs) (laughs) And we see Brainy trying so hard to collect all of the information that he can on Nia. But then we also see that having all this information does not necessarily improve their relationship. Possibly a metaphor for the way that having all of this extra communication technology in our lives (laughs) does not actually improve the quality of our relationships with other people. True. 
And then Alex is so stressed out. Oh, bless her. Because she doesn't know everything about Kelly and she's worried about like killing her. (laughs) (laughs) A totally normal fear that people have. (laughs) But then she's also like, how could I possibly feel this way about somebody that I barely know? I like that Alex is immediately afraid that she could kill her because everyone else in Alex's life is essentially indestructible. (laughs) (laughs) So again, an extreme fear that in hindsight might be justified. (laughs) It's fair. And then when, you know, not Kelly, Malefic is impersonating Kelly, Alex can tell that it's not her initially because the way that Kelly rested her hand on Alex's hand felt different. So Alex's revelation there was not because of any specific like fact that she had stored in her brain, although the allergy thing did help after she was suspicious. Yes. But it was because she just kind of instinctively knew who Kelly was. And she says toward the end of the episode to Kelly, and I might not know every little detail about you yet, but I know you. That's actually a really fascinating evolution for Alex, who struggled so much in season three to accept that Kara has that same kind of instinct a lot about people, like Mm. thinking back to the situation with Julia and Purity and Kara being like, no, there's definitely a core of a good person in there that I can reach. Yeah. And Kara struggles with like being like, and here are the specific facts and here's the evidence of why I think this. It's more just the sense that she has. Yeah. And so to see Alex's evolution on that and also just the way Alex has matured to the point where she can recognize that she doesn't have to know everything right away like she's studying for a test and like she's going to fail has been a nice evolution for her. Yeah, it has. See? Aliens and humans learning from each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And speaking of another alien. Another alien who Alex has learned a lot from in her life. (laughs) We see Jean in this episode realizes he doesn't know everything about himself, (laughs) which is a rough place to be in. But also, as we talked about before, maybe akin to realizing maybe your gender identity is not what you thought it was or your sexuality, for instance. But then we see this concept of like, I don't know every little detail about you yet, but I know you come up again in his conversation with Kara when John says, if this memory was taken from me, what else may I not know about myself, good or bad? And Kara says, well, you have us and we know you. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have Lena. (laughs) Oh, Lena. She's very much caught up in the information that she didn't know and the fact that she didn't know an aspect of Kara's life, an important aspect, but the fact that she didn't know this shakes her entire view of Kara and all of their interactions. And Mm. we also see this concept of truth come up and having to know everything about somebody when she asks her in the first episode of season five to tell her everything from now on, no secrets at all. And so this is like the extreme. And she literally maps Eve's brain to try to know her because there is that betrayal. Yeah. And what I find interesting about this is that Lena is so wrapped up in the facts and and knowing the truth about people and being sure of everything that she essentially erases someone's identity and changes someone, a person. And And without their consent. Without their consent. And is like knowing all the facts about this person is more important than like this person being a person and being themselves. Well, and then the other kind of undercurrent to all of this obsession with knowing quantitatively what is going on inside of someone's head or knowing the facts about what they're doing with their life is Lena going on a journey of figuring out who she is in a very 
dramatic way because, yes, Lena, definitely a lot of the things that she is doing now and the decisions that she's making were set off by what she learned about Kara and feeling betrayed by the fact that Kara didn't tell her the truth herself for so long. But the other part of it that we haven't seen come up yet, but I think is there, is Lena grappling with the fact that she finally did cross that line and kill someone, and it was her own brother. And she's always been so concerned that deep down she's not a good person. And that seems like that is also driving a lot of her obsession with creating this AI and finding the parts of people's Mm. brains that are related to truth and goodness and all of that. It's about affirming her own identity. (laughs) Yeah, in a way. She's saying she's doing it to better mankind, but she's really also doing it as a way to try to validate herself. Mm -hmm. And so it will be interesting also to see how this unfolds as far as have the pieces that Lena's been saying are true about herself all along been really the truth and we've just been overlooking them as far as some of the things that she said about this is how I will react (laughs) when something terrible happens or like when she told Kara that she thought about killing Morgan Edge and Kara was like oh you wouldn't do that and Lena's like "Hmm, I'm not so sure Uh, (laughs) (laughs) well she was like but you didn't (laughs) that's what's important and Lena's like I didn't because someone clubbed me over the head Uh, (laughs) yes but so all of these pieces were there and so there's an identity struggle going on here too of like okay so which parts of these are real and if they're all real which ones are actually the most important yeah and how is lena going to reconcile this and then how is kind of going back to that thing about the reveal that shocks everyone because the person always had all these other layers to them how are all these people who feel like they've gotten to know her the other characters as well as the audience going to react when they eventually find out all of this information Hmm. and who else is lena gonna mess with in her (laughs) quest to uh, better mankind i guess by brainwashing them Yes. So Lena is very much in this quest for truth, truth about other people and truth about herself, I guess, and very clearly values that over pretty much everything else right now. And then we see the other characters have either learned or are learning that there's more to a person than individual facts about them or individual aspects of their personality or life experience that you didn't know about before. In the way that all of this connects to the queer experience and identity and truth. And in terms of messaging, for me, is how finding out that someone is queer doesn't mean that they are an entirely new person now, that they're suddenly a stranger. You still have your shared experiences with them, and they're still connected to you. Their personality is the same. Mm. And, you know, Nia gave her big speech about all the little... All the little things about her that are totally relatable. Yeah. (laughs) And the big personality stuff and your relationship with someone, even after they come out and are different than you initially thought they were is the most important thing and the rest are just details. Yeah, and that's a concept we'll definitely be coming back to because I have a lot of thoughts about it. (laughs) Particularly related to the issue of what kinds of truth there are and how just because you maybe don't know facts about someone doesn't mean there isn't any like emotional truth Mm -hmm. to your shared experiences or stuff like that. Well, I mean, it's kind of like what we see in allegorical storytelling is that maybe the details aren't all the same, but the like heart of the story is what 
resonates with queer audiences. Yes. So on that note, we had other thoughts about this episode. So if you would like to hear from us about those, (laughs) or if you want to share your thoughts about other things that happened in episode 502, you can absolutely reach out to us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram and send us questions or comments. We've enjoyed the comments we've gotten back so far about season five and look forward to hearing more of your thoughts. Next week, we will be exploring a technology-based topic as it relates to the season five episodes that we've seen so far and we'll see this coming Sunday. So you guys can look forward to that. And thanks for listening.